Hello, I'm Dr. Eleanor Pierce. I'm a research fellow in the Division of Psychiatry at University College London, and I coordinate the Loneliness and Social Isolation in Mental Health Research Network, which is funded by the UKRI. And our team looked at loneliness as an active ingredient in interventions to reduce um, anxiety and depression in young people. So we were interested if you intervene to reduce loneliness, whether that can prevent the onset of anxiety and depression in 14 to 24 year olds, um, and whether if you address loneliness, um, that can help with anxiety and depression in young people who are already experiencing those. And what we were interested in is um, what kind of interventions to address loneliness uh, work for who, so in what context, and why that might be the case. And also what interventions don't work for particular young people and why that might be the case. Um, and loneliness is a mismatch between how someone sees their relationships, their actual relationships, and the kind of relationships that they want to have. So what we're trying to do is address um, and reduce that sense of um, a mismatch between how you'd like your social world to be um, and how you think it is. Welcome, Ellie, to the podcast. I think this is really interesting and it's it's great this is one of the active ingredients that was looked at as part of this work. Um, there's been this huge explosion over the last decade, I guess, about loneliness and its relationship to mental health and physical health. So what is, what is it particularly that made you decide to focus on this active ingredient, on trying to reduce loneliness to help relieve youth mental health? Mm. So loneliness seems to be relatively high in 16 to 24 year olds and there's evidence that uh, loneliness can predict later anxiety and depression. So data which is longitudinal looking over time has found that if you're lonely uh, as a child for instance then you're more likely to develop anxiety and depression later on. Um, and there also seems to be a reciprocal relationship. So if you're uh, socially anxious, you're also more likely to become lonely later on. So because there seems to be this um, association between uh, loneliness and anxiety and depression um, over time, we thought that if you addressed loneliness, then that might reduce the risk of, de of developing anxiety and depression later on. So we're very excited to see whether loneliness could be an active ingredient in preventing um, anxiety and depression later on. Previous evidence um, has found that um, children who are lonely are more likely to become depressed and anxious later on, um, up to 24 years later. Um, and also there seems to be a reciprocal relationship over time between loneliness and social anxiety. So young people who feel lonely are more likely to develop social anxiety later on. Um, but at the same time, those who are socially anxious are also more likely to become lonely later on. So we were interested to see whether if you address loneliness, does that reduce the risk of developing depression and anxiety later on? But also if you try and address loneliness in those already experiencing depression and anxiety, does that improve 
uh, their mental health. So does that help with the depression and anxiety? How good is this evidence linking loneliness to mental illness in young people? Is it is it just a or can we say that loneliness causes mental illness in young people or that mental illness in young people causes loneliness? Or do we just know that there's some kind of correlation there? So these data are longitudinal. So they are looking over time. So um so if you're if a young person is lonely, then they're more likely to develop, for example, depression later on. But there is also evidence that the re- relationship is reciprocal. So and also this is something that came out with talking to our um, young people who were involved in the project. So our lived experience um, advisory group where we talked quite a lot about this chicken and egg problem. So some of them definitely did feel that their loneliness had um, started first, then their mental health um, uh, challenges uh, developed later on and other people were the other way around. So I think at this point, um, we don't know, (laughs) but I think it um, seems like um, it can happen either way and it depends on the individual. I mean, it's very plausible, isn't it, this hypothesis that if we try and reduce loneliness, we're going to have a positive impact on people's mental health. Um, so what, what research is there? What did you find with this review? And did the evidence that you find that you found rather support your initial views about loneliness as an intervention? Well, um, we should probably start by saying that um, many of the studies didn't measure anxiety and depression as well as loneliness. Um, I think we need a lot more studies um, that that measure all three and do that over time. Um, So we searched, we kind of have various different strands of evidence that we drew together. So we searched the published academic literature um, for both quantitative studies and qualitative studies that give kind of more depth and more nuance um, in their findings. Um, We also looked at um, unpublished evidence from third sector organisations, so charities who are working with young people to try and address loneliness and also some kind of policy reports. Um, And we used um, unpublished um, master's dissertations that were interviews with um, charity workers about what they thought was underlying loneliness and what they thought might help. Um, And we also talked to this group of um, brilliant young people about their experiences of uh, loneliness and mental ill health and what had helped them um, and we drew those together in a kind of iterative process with feedback with the young people to create um, this uh, framework um, and as I said um, I think we found um, I think it was three or four um, kind of larger sample randomised controlled trials looking at interventions to address loneliness in the context of mental health, um, which isn't very many (laughs) to base um, a robust conclusion on. So a lot of these studies were um, feasibility or pilot studies where you can't really say that much about the effectiveness of the intervention. But what we could do was identify strategies, interventions that warrant further development and testing, so kind of promising 
um, promising interventions, interventions with potential, um, looking at feasibility and acceptability. Um, so particularly looking at qualitative, qualitative evidence on that. Um, and we came up with this um, framework which looked at um, who um, particular strategies might work for. And I'm using the word strategies because we not only included formal interventions, but also um, kind of less formal um, kind of coping strategies, either raised by the young people or particularly in the kind of charity websites, kind of top tips that charities were giving young people who were feeling lonely. So that's why I'm using the word strategies. Um, so we looked at the content of these, or sorry, the context of these strategies um kind of so thinking about what the different causes of loneliness might be um and uh, thinking about given those different causes <clears throat> what might work for someone who for example is feeling lonely because of intrapersonal factors so individual level factors like experiencing anxiety and depression low self-esteem um wanting to withdraw um, very negative comparisons with others. Uh, we also thought about um, interpersonal reasons why people might be lonely. So, for example, um, feeling a lack of confidence in social situations or um, not feeling like you have um, the social skills that you need in order to interact with others. And then we thought about um, social factors underlying loneliness. So um, if you're physically isolated, for example, if you're in hospital, um, you might not have um, close friends and family who you can engage with easily. Um, you might not have family support. Um, and also you might feel like you don't belong to a, a, a community. So we, we looked at um, what strategies we thought might help um, young people experiencing those different kinds of loneliness. And each, each of those um, kind of underlying factors of loneliness might come about from different situations. So, for example, um, a young person moving school or moving university might not have close friends in that new situation but equally someone who's hospitalized might not have close friends around or or a refugee might not have um close friends nearby so that's how we sort of looked at what works for who <laughs> rather than specific demographic groups if that makes sense like students for example um, then we looked at the kind of key elements of different strategies. So a really key element was um, that they needed to be personalised and they needed to be co-designed. So this was something that our young people um, really emphasised and it was also emphasised in the charity evidence that we looked at. So that um, different strategies might work for different individuals and for the same individual over time. So some examples are um, young people we worked with said that in their experience, um, therapy was really helpful to then allow them to take advantage of social opportunities in the community. So they didn't feel able to, I don't know, go to a join a football club or go to an art class um, until they've had until they'd had some therapy. Um, but equally, there was a case study that we looked at where 
um, suggesting that um, the therapeutic process was much more beneficial because this individual had very strong support um, from their close relationships. Um, and one of the um, one of the strategies we looked at was an online um, app um, called Entourage for social anxiety, and that um, personalised. Um, the kind of therapeutic suggestions and the activities based on the individual's strength profile. So it was a positive psychology approach. Um, but they, they also had um, um, they also had um, peer mentors and um, kind of clinicians um, to provide social support. Um, so they sort of had um, different approaches combined um, and a personalised approach. Um, and that came up in some of the other active ingredients um, projects as well, the, the need for co-design. So I thought that was really interesting. And then other key elements um, were um, intrapersonal uh, elements like therapy or self-help. So um, things like journaling um, or a mindfulness app, for example, or going running. Um, then we had uh, inter, uh, interpersonal um strategies that helped with um, increasing social skills and social confidence and then social strategies that um, either sought to provide social support so for example through mentoring or particularly having an adult who a young person could really develop trust with so the charities in particular talked about having um staff that were there for a long time so that young people could build up a trusting relationship with them and could have positive role models and then also opportunities for social engaging so for example through group music therapy or sport uh, and then we also thought about um, the different mechanisms through which these kind of key elements of these strategies might work so um, to just give you highlights of the key ones, a really important one that came out um, both in our uh, in discussion with our young people, but also in the academic literature, both in the qualitative and the quantitative data, was that what really helped in terms of a social mechanism was talking to others who had the same experience of you. Uh, so, um, for example, having a parent with mental ill health or um, being a university student with autism spectrum disorder. Um, so talking to other people who could really relate to how you were feeling seemed to be a very key mechanism by which particular interventions helped. Um, and what I found really interesting was that this was also reflected in our group of young people. Um, so I sort of at the end asked for feedback on how they'd found the process. Um, and it, they just really enjoyed the opportunity to talk to un other young people who had experienced mental ill health and loneliness. And they could share their experiences and what strategies had helped them. Um, and it actually felt like they'd bonded um, through sharing these um, shared experiences um, and a kind of strong um, uh, factor in uh, underlying a lot of their loneliness was having an experience which they felt like they couldn't share with their friends because the friends hadn't shared those same experiences so that was a very key mechanism um, and also things like um, developing social confidence and um, 
developing um, a better relationship with oneself um, also came out very strongly, um, building a positive self-identity. Um, and then in terms of what factors um, might prevent um, a strategy helping someone, the barriers included uh, individual level hurdles, such as um, an individual not wanting to be a burden, so they, they don't discuss how they're feeling with others, um, kind of denying that, that they were having difficulties um, was something that our lived experience young people um, suggested. Um, practical barriers, um, particularly in terms of accessibility, so not having the financial resources to take advantage of um, community activities. Um, also, they're not being community activities that a young person wants to engage with locally. Um, and also, I think probably particularly during COVID, um, digital barriers, so not having the technology or uh, the data to kind of join in with online uh, activities. Um, and also social barriers, so stigma, both of loneliness and of mental ill health, was something that was really emphasised in um, our lived experience group. Um, and a lot of the charities advocated uh, anti-bullying um, uh, strategies, um, although we didn't find any academic um, interventions looking at those. I think it'd be worth just talking a little bit more about the youth advisors and their involvement in this and how it worked and also how that was different from how you've done these sorts of reviews in the past. I'm very interested in this this thing you touched on there about the stigma of loneliness you know it's very obviously having a mental illness is stigmatizing um but it feels like loneliness is a whole new level of stigma admitting to being lonely versus admitting to being depressed and doing them together you know <laughs> so what did those young people bring and how did you find I loved it. It was brilliant. It was they were so engaged um, and had such brilliant ideas. Um, I thought it was wonderful. Um, so, and and I guess what they really brought to it was um, uh, perspectives on um, what might help, uh, what will what might underlie loneliness, um, and what might help that we didn't find um, in the literature. So we actually met with our lived experience uh, group right at the beginning, um, and the kind of themes that we drew out from our conversation with them uh, really guided us starting to develop our framework and we kind of looked at um, you know do the things that they think are important come up in the literature um, and there were um, a couple of things that um, didn't actually so um, they really emphasized um, that um, what had helped them with loneliness had been um developing a more positive relationship with themselves so it wasn't necessarily um social engagement or you know getting more friends or you know working on your 
existing relationships with others. It was very much about, um, uh, for example, for instance, journaling and getting to know yourself better and accepting yourself better. I thought that was really interesting. Um, that was something that um, did come up um, in the literature um, a little bit, but something that didn't was the emphasis placed on family or home environment and whether or not someone had family support. Um, so that could be both in terms of um cultural issues around a, a family kind of denying that mental health issues are an issue like kind of not not thinking that mental ill health is a thing um to parents um, being very certain that a particular strategy is going to help their child and the the young person not feeling that it's appropriate um so almost kind of the other extreme um so and so home environments and whether or not they're supportive and that wasn't something that we really found in the academic literature there weren't any uh interventions in what we looked at about working um with families and family relationships um and trying to um yeah kind of um intervene in terms of family support um uh, maybe there are interventions in kind of other uh, domains that do that but we didn't find that in terms of loneliness um, so that that was something that we sort of I kind of expected to find given uh, after com uh, after discussing this with the young people but that we didn't um, so that was really interesting um, and also stigma was the other thing that came up a lot in talking to the young people and we didn't find any interventions that try to address that um so I guess kind of normalizing that most people feel lonely at some point in their lives and there's often linked to transitions and we kind of expect that as part of the human condition um so yeah we didn't find any interventions um kind of I guess trying to educate um young people um teachers um community organisations working with young people about loneliness and mental ill health. Um, but that was that was advocated in particularly the charity literature. But in the academic literature, we didn't find that. It feels like this review has brought together a really wide variety of types of evidence and has kind of drawn a line in the sand and said, you know, this is what we know currently about this topic. But actually, there's much more that's unknown about this topic than known. Um, I guess you're talking, when you're thinking about implications, you're probably thinking more about future research questions than actually things that we can do right now in practice. What's your sense of what we can do now with the evidence? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so just to quickly, um, I will come back to that, but I just want to um, highlight two gaps in the research. Um, so one is that we would expect, so we know that loneliness is associated with cognitive biases, which are things like um, interpreting an ambiguous social situation as threatening. Um, we know that these biases are linked to loneliness, but there weren't any psychological interventions 
looking at that um, at, in young people, at least. Um, so that, I think, is a really important area for future work. Um, and also the built environment. Um, so what, how our buildings and neighbourhoods are designed, that was something that was highlighted by um, uh, academics and in the um, policy and third sector literature um and wasn't something that we found so i think those two are definitely key areas um as well as the kind of family support element that i talked about before where um more testing is definitely needed um in terms of what we can do now um i think what we've set out is a framework of um kind of key aspects of strategies that might help young people address loneliness, anxiety and depression. Um, and I think a young person could or a um, someone thinking about helping a young person could look at our framework um, and sort of um, get a better sense of what might help them, um, given the kind of examples of the, the different kinds of strategies. Um, and I think that will help with the kind of co-designing a way to help a particular individual um and um you know there are kind of i guess what i'm saying is there are kind of examples of what's already being done um and a young person could um use that to think about oh yeah okay um journaling sounds like a good thing i'll try that um or um kind of the the idea of um therapy being a good gateway um into other more social strategies so um kind of working on um your relationship with yourself before joining a football club or something um and i think also the um young people gave really interesting insights so they did a um, a commentary on our uh, paper and they talked about things like having a meaningful job as a way of um uh, getting a sense of purpose um, and that that was really helpful um, in loneliness, uh, in addressing loneliness and mental ill health. And, and things like volunteering was another thing that some of them had found helpful. So I think there are kind of hints in there of um, the range of strategies that might help different people, um, but we still don't know specifically what works for who and why and what doesn't work for who and why. Um, but I, I think this is a, a very good first step to know which strategies need more testing and developing. And do you buy in finally to the kind of broad media perspective on this, which is that society is going down the pan and that's why we're all lonely and that's why we're seeing this kind of explosion. You know, family units are breaking down, community cohesion is breaking down. You know, we don't look after each other anymore in our neighbourhoods. Do you buy into that or do you think that's just a, bit of a tabloid interpretation of what's really going on? So that's really interesting. So um, some people in our um, research network are um, historians, so they bring a historical perspective on this. Um, and according to their work, there have been these kind of epidemics of loneliness um, kind of throughout 
recorded history or you know when they look back um so for instance i think when the telephone first came out um or when the radio first came out there was a big um hoo-ha about this was going to cause um uh huge uh loneliness so i i feel like maybe the um the things that we're concerned about um in society at each time period um there's a bit of a panic that it's going to um yeah create um complete disarray and loneliness and breakdown of community um i also think that there are different kinds of loneliness so um so there are sort of three different kinds so the first one is emotional loneliness so that's where you're um you're missing um an intimate relationship um so for instance um through bereavement or a relationship breakdown then the social loneliness which is about not feeling part of a social network or community and then there's existential loneliness which is not really knowing your place in the world not really having a sense of purpose um so i think it's a bit it's a bit complicated to just look at um or it's, or it's a bit simplistic to look at think of loneliness as one single thing so i guess you could argue that the breakdown of the family is maybe linked to emotional loneliness but i don't think that's the whole picture at all um and not kind of knowing your neighbors maybe that's creating um social loneliness but again um i think there's more to it than that uh, but existential loneliness um i think has probably been a key part of being human forever <laughs> sort of you know not not wanting to know what your place is in the world mm-hmm.